0: That's heritageradionetwork.org/15 to donate and enter to win today, and make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com.
2: Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Aaron Bresnitz. If you are looking to get involved with the relief effort for the situation in Ukraine, please head over to heritageradionetwork.org for more resources. Uh, They'll point you in the right direction. And let me just say to Congress, thank you for a big fat nothing for the entire restaurant industry. I hope none of you go out to eat. And if you do, you get terrible service. We're super excited to have Katiana and John Hong of Yangban society a Korean deli that's opened up in downtown L.A., one of the more exciting and inspired places to open up in recent years. It's a delicious spot, and we talked to them about their upbringing, their dive back into traditional food, and then filtering it through their own perspective and what one can experience when they go to eat. It's a great spot, good for day eating, night eating with some drinking, And I hope you go check it out. And then we dig into the archives from a performance from Lucius, which was a a really fun and I think a really nice, light performance that we can use on this Sunday or whenever you're listening. Maybe it's a Wednesday. Maybe you're driving. Who knows? Anyway, sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes here on HRN.org.
3: We talk about food, we talk about music. The bulls snacky to stitches coming loose. And I'm hard-headed, but completely soft inside. I'm all wound up
2: Tiana and John, thank you so much for sitting down with us for Snacky Tunes, taking the time out of your busy schedule. We really appreciate it. Welcome to the show.
4: Thank Thank you. you. Thanks for having
2: us. Oh, yeah. Uh, Big fan already. Been in a couple times, and uh, I love it. It's so unique. It's such like a great LA-only spot, I feel, that couldn't exist in any other city. So congratulations on opening. Congratulations on opening during what is... Well, Congress said we could plug the leaks ourselves, but uh, arguably one of the toughest times in restaurant history.
4: Yeah, it's a little challenging. It's a little, uh, you know, it's interesting to navigate. Um, definitely has uh, thrown a few curveballs at us. But, yeah, we're just happy to be open.
2: Yeah. Um, so, Katia, you were born in Korea, raised in upstate New York. You could say that those two cultures are are thousands of miles apart but also maybe similar if people really think about it. Um, what did you see as an overlap? How did you draw from Boast? Was there like a push and pull in your childhood?
4: So, yeah, I, I was born in uh, South Korea, then adopted when I was really young. I, I was three months old. Um, and I grew up in upstate New York. Um, my dad is Jewish. You know, my mom is Irish Catholic. Um, the air, The suburb I grew up, you know, it's outside of Albany kind of, Close to Saratoga Springs, it's um, mm. it, a lot of Italians. It's very, very white, I guess I'd say. There's, you know, only like one or two Asian families I grew up around. Um, so it was interesting. I think I identified more as like Caucasian or, or white for a very long time. Mm. Um, and I knew that I was different. I knew that I was Korean. I knew that I looked different, obviously. Um, but I just. I, didn't, I guess I didn't really understand what that meant because I just wasn't surrounded by a lot of Asian people to use as a reference. see mm. The way other people were growing up or some differences in culture. Um, so I didn't really realize just how different I was and what it meant to be Korean or Korean American. I'd, I'd say like into more of my adulthood and I'm still exploring that and this, this restaurant, this project has been really explorative and really, um, educational for me and, and learning about Korean culture, you know, the things that maybe, um, I can identify with the things that I'm okay. And I'm going to take a pass on and just Hmm. like, you know, becoming more comfortable, I guess, owning that title of Korean American and understanding that that is something unique and specific to me and not, I don't necessarily need to try to be more Korean or be more American Um, and just, yeah, embracing just kind of my own experience and John doing the same thing.
2: And John, you had a different type of experience because you grew up in Highland Park, Mm -hmm. a big uh, home to Korean Americans. And so you had maybe the opposite type of of upbringing um, and you had huge family uh, food and celebration hosting was a big thing um did you lean into the the korean american um aspect of your upraising or did you do something where you're like i don't want this i want the more white like please do not put anything fermented in my lunchbox like just give me the wonder bread right. um at school but at home you're like i sort of love what we're doing just don't tell my friends
5: yeah i think there's a little bit of that so i grew up in Highland park suburb of chicago so Shout out. I um, definitely didn't also grow up amongst a lot of Asian families. Mm. uh, Didn't have a lot of Korean friends growing up. Um, So, yeah, you're playing that battle of trying to fit in. And Mm. uh, what doesn't help you fit in is smelling like kimchi. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just facts. It's science.
4: Well, now (laughs)
5: No, um, does no <laughs> does. So you know, you're always same thing. You're navigating how to fit in as a kid, and you don't really appreciate the things that make you yourself or unique or individual quite yet. And I was kind of juggling those same things and uh, trying to fit in while, like you said, closet like, where's my kimchi at at home? Yeah. So it's just kind of you know walking that tightrope. And as you get older, you realize that those are the things that make you unique, you special to kind of yourself. And for me, this project has been a full circle kind of experience and being able to reignite that passion for not only my culture and history, but some more of like my familial history and still mm. Things that kind of remind me of growing up uh, in a Korean household, uh, a household of Korean immigrants.
2: Now you both wound up training classically, going into fine dining and meeting at Josiah Citrin's Melisse, which is, you know, shout out to Josiah, absolutely legendary. Um, But, you know, this was uh, a few years back. What drew you to this style of cooking? Or did you feel that this was the only style of cooking that could get you to that high-level recognition of chefdom, which has changed now? But, you know, this was, I don't know how many years ago, five, ten years ago, where you're like, there's one way to national prestige. It is Michelin star style, Eurocentric right. type of dining.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think for me, um, I like when I got into cooking. I think I'm just naturally kind of competitive and intense. Mm and obsessive. And so for me, yeah, that I wanted to be the best. I wanted to work, learn from the best, work with the best. And so, yeah, like you said, at that time, that was, that was Michelin. It was fine dining and I loved it. And I love the intensity of it. I, you know, I love the competitiveness. Um, I, I thrive in like, Stressful
2: environment,
4: mm. so you, you I like loved-
2: the right profession then.
4: Yeah, um, <laughs> I loved all of that, and I love constantly learning. I loved um, pushing yourself creatively and technically. Um, it was just really fulfilling. Um, it's a place where what I enjoyed about it too was that like you can always be better. Mm great high five. You can always be better tomorrow. You can always make a better dish tomorrow. You could always think of a new way to do it. Um, a new technique and something more innovative. Um, so I loved all that and I was drawn to it. And I think for a lot of years, my goal was that eventually have, yeah, like a fine dining restaurant of our own or my own and get Michelin stars. And just at some point that changed for me. Um, and it's nothing against fine dining. I still love fine dining and it has like a place in my heart. I just at, at a certain point for me the the value wasn't there anymore. Sure. Personally.
2: Sure. Yeah, I think that that idea of of one size fits all gold gold golden coin first place is a very antiquated type of system mm-hmm. and especially what it takes and the pressures are put on people, and and who actually gets the uh, the accolades? It's usually like one person. Yeah. It's like the one chef, and then the fifty people surrounding them in the photo. And you are like, I know one person's name in this photo.
4: <laughs> yeah,
2: it's it's different. And um, look, I don't I don't want to pry too much, but it's very rare we actually get a couple uh, who's still together, um, <laughs> uh, who owns a business together uh, on this show um what was the courtship like like how did you guys meet how did you guys know that this was not just a professional but a personal relationship and then also it's a personal relationship then you also went into business together what was that journey like
5: yeah that, well, that's a lot to unpack there um so like uh like we said we met emilyse this was probably early late 2009 um I was pretty young at the time. I think I was 22 at that time. That was much, much older.
6: But um,
5: we met cooking. We were both kind of in separate relationships at the time. And once again, mm. when we met, we were very much just coworkers. Um, I think we did develop a good amount of rapport as far as cooking in the kitchen. There was very sure. good chemistry there. There was very good uh, communication without necessarily talking to each other. So there's a lot of good camaraderie there. I think there's a lot of respect for each other's work. Um not till we moved out to Napa, which was a couple of years later separately, uh, that we started kind of seeing ourselves more than friends per se. Um, sure. granted that we were both still in relationships and living that kind of restaurant life. Um, it really happened gradually and naturally. And I think that helped us be able to continually work together as mm. we were, not only dating, not only living together, but now being married, having a child, um, having a business together, I think this has just been a very natural kind of uh, progression for us. And that's, I think, the only reason it works is that we are so comfortable spending so much time together, making stressful, tough decisions together, really kind of relying on each other's strengths and weaknesses. Um, It's been a learning lesson. And I think that kind of really very much prepared us for marriage and just work seeing each other so much.
2: Yeah.
4: I think like it started, we started as coworkers for many years. Sure. So that what developed into a relationship was, was, you know, I think started with an admiration for each other's work. So that just continues.
2: I think any coworker that I've eventually become friends with, uh, I've had a longer re- relationship with, cause I respected how they worked right. versus the person who I was friends with and then started working with, or like, you right. know, it's like, it's like, Oh, like I like your drive. I like the way you work. I like how you get business done. I rely on you. Right in so many ways professionally that like, and then personally, you're like, oh, we could be friends or, you know, more than friends or things like that. Right, right. Um, So, you know, I know that you mentioned that you started thinking about life outside of the Muslim system, but that doesn't exactly mean you're going to open up a Korean inspired (laughs) deli with nods to European Jewish culture and things like that. Um, And we've seen some of this trend happening more in the pandemic of just, this examination of like, I came from a culture. It's usually first generation immigrants. Right. I came from a culture. I love part of it. Some of it, I I, I want to take some of it. I want to put away. Um, when did you start thinking about uh, uh, the restaurant? Cause I know that this was supposed to open a little bit pre pandemic and they got things off the rails, but when did you start saying like uh, Korean culture and queering cuisine is like what we want to actually start thinking of for a restaurant of our own?
5: well I think that I think that part specifically not necessarily knowing where it was going to go was definitely one of the kind of prefaces of what we wanted to do I think we had known that if we were going to kind of step out and try to do our own thing, that at least, if anything, it would be centered around Korean cuisine and, mm. and tradition. So what extent or where that would end up, we didn't really know. But I think we always felt like Korean food is what we wanted. We, took, we
4: took a trip to Korea together uh, when we first started dating. And I think for both of us, that trip kind of solidified that there was something we wanted to... Um, like invest in for our future. Like for John, that trip, you kind of, like you said, got back in touch with with your roots and Mm. and things that you had kind of just pushed aside or forgotten about in your adulthood while you were working on other places. So you kind of got like reconnected and re-inspired. And we visited his grandfather's like, you know, little apartment with the heated floors and like stayed there. And for me, then I, for the first time, Felt connected because I was traveling through Korea with someone who spoke the language and was actually accepted as Korean.
6: Mm. So I felt
4: more comfortable and I connected as well. And I think after that trip, our focus was really like we wanted to dig into Korean cuisine and regional cuisine, the Korean cuisine specifically uh, because we... Went to the coast and we were on, we were also were in the cities and we went to like the farmlands. And so I think we came back from that really inspired and wanting to take like that ethos of everything we did at Meadowood, which is like, you know, time and place and sense of place. Of course. And, and incorporate that into us like deep diving and learning about Korean culture.
2: Amazing. Well, listen, I, I want to get more into the dishes, more to the process more in the Star of the Restaurant. Um, we have a song from the archives, and then we'll be back to uh, talk more about Young Band Society here on HRN.org. <laughs> Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We're with Katiana and John Hong of Yangban Society. And one of the most amazing things about going into the restaurant is that it doesn't feel like any other Korean restaurant I've been into. And being in L.A., there's so many different iterations. You know, for for those who are unfamiliar, it's the largest Korean population outside of Korea. There's I mean, it's. You could eat there at a new place every day and barely scratch the surface if you did a couple of years. Um, But what I love about it is that it's inspired by Jewish delis. And then also, John, when when I was there last time, you were telling me that also these banchan markets. Um, How did you decide on your approach, you know, beyond just doing the cuisine, you know, what did you want to do for service? What did you want to do that was different, especially opening up a Korean restaurant in a city that has so many
5: so i think what we knew stylistically is we wanted something very neighborhood driven very approachable um as far as style of service we wanted it to be very free explorative like wanted people to be able to get up grab things do these smaller transactions grab Mm. go to the super go to the deli multiple times take some food with you to go Uh, home with or to see friends and uh, we knew that we wanted this thing that was somewhat modular pretty explorative and like wanted to be able to give the guests a lot of options as far as how they wanted to enjoy the Yangban experience and in a lot of ways create their own Yangban experience
6: Mm.
4: for sure for sure I think again with with the deli vibe we love how things are sold by weight so Mm. little or as much as you like um, you can try a bunch of different things, which feels like to us, like very panchan you know, you can get like 10 or so little portions of, of stuff at the deli. Um, but yeah, mostly we wanted a place that you could come back to many times and your experience would be different depending on the day or what mood you're in. Sometimes you're just swinging in and getting takeout to bring to like a friend's house or maybe you had a long day at work and you're getting dinner to take home. Or maybe one night you're coming to celebrate and, you know, you're going to get a caviar supplement and a bottle of Krug, and like really, let's go hang out. Watch you off. know, so it's like we just like we thought we were giving people that freedom to kind of create their own experience.
2: It's dangerous because when I eat those potatoes, I go like, "You definitely ate a pound of potatoes." You know that because <laughs> you bought a pound of potatoes and you ate them all. Yeah. Like, oh, that was a small portion.
6: Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, you know, you talked about wrestling with this. Korean identification. Uh, like, am I Korean enough? Do I think I'm Korean? What do I have to take? and and I felt that way sometimes with my Jewish heritage as well because I'm secular, but i I am a hundred percent Jewish. but some people would be like, you yeah, know, I grew you are Orthodox and ascetic Jews, and they're like, you're not Jewish, but it's like I have my own interpretation of it. And especially when you get into like those cultures that are really rooted in food, you could be like, I'm making this and people are like, that is not Bogogi, That is not, you, you know, kimchi. That is not that. But you guys are proficient chefs enough where you could make textbook versions of these dishes. So how do you balance, where do you pull from traditionally, but then filtering it to make it a, your own, both from just like, a, well, we're not, we're making new dishes, but then also I don't, want to, I don't want to say, like, marketing, but, like, from a way to be, like, this is our own point of view. This is what's going to draw you back to the restaurant.
4: I think, really, we just um, decided to go from a place of, like, um, like just from an honest place and from a naturally inspired place. I think, like, yeah, like, when I mentioned, like, wanting to do a deep dive into Korean culture and learn all about the regions, it just felt a little forced to us. mm. We wanted, cooking is so emotional and personal and um, that's how we both fell in love with cooking. Um, So we wanted to get back to that place where you're just naturally creating from within. And when you do that, what happens is, you're just influenced by a lot of different things. Some of them being our past work experience, others being ingredients we've used from, you know, that we learned about from a mentor. Some of them being John's childhood memories from, you know, more Korean and cooking with his grandmother or his mother. Some of them are from my childhood memories of, you know, my Jewish grandmother preparing food for me. And so it might to some people not just be one thing. And Mm sometimes appear to be a little all over the place, but it's just genuine who we are and the recipes come naturally from our memories and our experiences.
5: Yeah, and I think as you kind of mentioned, I think uh, this is the battle all of us first or second generation immigrants are kind of dealing with. It's not just the Koreans or the the Jews. Um, It's this uh, incorporation into another kind of uh, culture or community and what does that look like? It looks so different for everyone. And for us, we really wanted it to just feel authentic. I think for me as, as music buffs, we always find like that new up and coming artists, their first album just feels so real. It feels uh, authentic. It feels like a story that's been being made their whole life. And we really wanted it to feel that way versus something contrived or something that we're trying to fit in, or we're trying to, "Quote unquote, elevate Korean food or things of that nature with that you know ego being involved."
2: You know, talking about being music buffs, you definitely get a sort of fashion streetwear culture vibe when you walk into the space. For those who don't know, you took over Lincoln Carson's Bon Tom space. R.I.P. to that space. He, what a you know one of one of the early tragedies of the pandemic. And you kept some of the bones, but you really made it your own. um, In designing the space and thinking about what you want to say about culture, um, what went into those decisions? And, uh, you know, what can people expect when they go to that, especially with the music they play or the vibe when they walk into the restaurant?
5: Yeah. So, I mean, as far as exploring the design, we wanted it to feel – reminiscent. We wanted like touches of Korean vibes kind of going throughout, but we still wanted it to feel industrial. We wanted it to feel as if it were in a restaurant that were in the arts district. So we didn't want to stray too far away from where the restaurant was located. uh, The city was in, Uh, we just wanted these touches of color. We knew that we wanted open seating. We knew that we wanted a lot of wood, which had those kind of nuances of that old kind of Korean Hanok architecture. Which really inspired us throughout and seeing all the kind of old wood and harder kind of concrete, those things kind of reminded us of the old world imagery of like some of the old Korean buildings we kind of were really inspired by.
4: But also with with our approach to minimal service um, and the deli approach, um, we wanted it to feel kind of like, yeah, like how when we feel when we go wander around the markets in, in Seoul or in Korea and it's kind of like there's the random little places to sit down like you grab a bite from somewhere and you find like a little stew for like park eating so like those platforms outside in the alleyway like those were inspired by old old school korean pictures of families in parks and they have their shoes off and they're on these platforms and they're like picnicking and playing games and cards and stuff so like that's where that came and i think it's funny Sometimes things get a little lost. People are like, why'd you get all these low tables? <laughs> <laughs> Cause we put the stools out there to be flexible, but we always picture people sitting on top of them.
2: Um, uh, ah, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
4: So I don't Sometimes know.
2: Sometimes but- you need to put up that diagram of like how yeah. people will sit.
4: The
5: options. <gasps> yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, that's
2: part of Western culture. Like everyone's, yeah. no one sits on tables in Western culture, and, you know? Well, I, yeah. Yeah. They I, think it's rude, but it's like, no, like we designed this for you. Right.
4: right. Yeah.
2: Um, and, and I would be remiss to not talk about the music. First off, great sound system. Thank you. Um, but what is the music played to the changes from day to night? Um, I. It's very, it's one of those places where you go and you go, someone put this list together. Like this is not just a, uh, a you know, a, a Spotify channel, something like that. Someone obviously went in and curated these songs.
5: Yeah, I think daytime wise, we really wanted it to be a little bit more chill, a little bit more explorative. And like, there are a lot of nods to like old world Korean pop, like from the 70s and 80s. And that's kind of expressed through a lot of reggae, um, some kind of Motown, but also a little bit of like hip hop and some soul and some kind of soulful Korean R&B, it's kind of interspersed in there throughout the day. So that's kind of what we're mostly listened to in the day. And then during night, it becomes a little bit more hip hop focused, a little bit more alternative hip hop, and some kind of nods to the early 2000s, which is kind of the era we grew up in as far as hip hop and all those uh, things. But there's a little bit of everything. but it's really just kind of indicative of kind of the music we like, the music that inspires us when we cook and when we eat. I mean, it's, it's great.
2: And there's a great nighttime scene there too. There's great bars there. Um, I was able to have, I'd read about it in the times, I think maybe the week that I could tell you, but um, Makali, which I'd never heard of before. And you guys make your own with Satel Saki. And I'm like, Oh, this is a great vibe. Like I can drink a little, I can eat a little. Um, but, but this drink is a really, I think, a di- indicative of, you know, it's this very traditional, very rustic drink that has been reclaimed by a younger generation, and they're making it their own. Why did you want to make your own? How did this collaboration come about? What, is this, what does making your own version mean to you?
5: Um, yeah, so we got introduced to Saltel Sake through our beverage director, Dave Purcell. Um we met and we were actually talking more on the sake side of things when that they had mentioned that one of the uh the proprietors really loved making their own um and wanted us to try it um had some and we just loved it we thought that like you said it was reclaiming this old kind of traditional idea but also being able to explore new ways on making it the process um the way it's packaged and served uh so for us the major difference is that they're using uh, koji instead of nudo, which is the fermenting medium. So mm-hmm. medium. So it's it's a little fruitier. I think it's a little bit more floral, a little lighter on the palate. Um, the nudo, the Korean method, is a little bit more uh, probiotic. It's a little heavier in the ferment and like the natural kind of yeast going on in there. So we like its delicacy. We like that it goes well with some more of the vegetal aspects of our food. Um, And that it kind of carries on that story. It's branded in our colors of blue and and neon um, pink. And it really carries that story and kind of what we're trying to do here at Youngblood.
2: It's definitely when you bring that because you can get it to go and you bring it to someone's house. They're like this. I don't know. Like, let's (laughs) let's crack that. I love it. So, you know, uh, to bring it a little full circle, you know, now that you have a kid and the kid's going to definitely grow up in the restaurant there's no way around it um but given the wide acceptance of different cultures and food and things like that do you think this rejection of traditional food or this like don't pack this in my lunch because to me if i was a kid and i could go to the restaurant and be like all right put all this in my lunchbox that's a win for me um do you think that that rejection even exists or do you think that kids now are going to be like, I'm so proud of where I come from culinary wise and I'm going to show that off at school every day?
5: That's a really good question. One that I haven't really thought about, but I think in just like my first thoughts are I think that like cuisine has globalized a little bit more so than let's say when I was growing up or when you were growing up. And also we were, I was just talking about it with Kat the other day is that, you know, we were both, we were grew up in suburbs of small cities in small towns. Right, Our daughter's growing up in the heart of Koreatown. And it just, it's like, as you speak full circle, it's really weird that she's getting to grow up with all this Korean food, all this culture, all this representation around her. We've opened a quote unquote Korean American restaurant. So we're actually also super kind of intrigued to see how it plays out for her and what she gravitates to whether it is that Korean culture of her grandparents who she's super close with, or if she wants to be a little bit more Americanized, or herself, and uh, I'm not sure w- which way she's going to go yet. It's interesting. She speaks fluent Korean right now, yeah. and it's really a, it's a trip for uh, you know Cat's daughter to speak Korean and them to not be able to communicate in a lot of yes. ways together. It's, it's wow. Fun. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's amazing. Well, listen. Congratulations. Um, I know that you guys have some changes. You guys got some things coming up for the spring and summer menu. And then also, you guys are going to start offering if you're intimidated about picking what you want, you can go to Open Table, book a curated chef's tasting menu, which is really nice, which uh, is so funny because you think you can get away from that fine dining curation.
5: Right back in. It just pulls it <laughs> you. Know,
2: you go, I wouldn't order it that way. You can order it however you want. Let me just course out a few things for you, right? Yeah. Ugh, old habits die hard, but look yes. if people if people want to find you, see what's going on, come to the spot. Where can they go? Where can, where? Where can they go? Online,
4: Instagram. LA dot com online. Um, Youngbahnla is on Instagram as well. Um, I'm on Instagram, Katiana Hong. He has a profile, but he's not on Instagram.
2: <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Posting a lot. It, it, you're like, oh. It's
5: my nightmare.
4: Um, all
2: right. Well, listen. Thank you so much. Congratulations. One of one of the most exciting places to open, and I will definitely be back soon. Uh, we have a song from the archives and then a live performance from Lucis from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on HRN.org.
1: with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com.
2: I would like to welcome to Snacky Tunes, Lucius. Thank you. 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 Hello. There's five of them. Um, And just so it does not go to waste... They're all dressed in gender-specific matching outfits. Um, welcome to the show. Thank you. I was telling some of your boys that I saw you play at uh, Hamageddon at Googa Mooga wow. uh, and drew me in across the field. And then I was like, oh, these guys are great. And then, lo and behold, girly action. Force works with you, and they sent you our way, and here you are on a We're
3: happy to kind be of here.
2: overcast gray December-ish day. Yeah, um yeah.
3: It's
2: surprisingly warm.
3: Surprisingly
2: warm. Yeah. Uh, So I want to start with the house in Ditmas Park, because Mm -hmm. I had only recently learned about its Victorian secrets, and I want to know how you found the house and, you know, where... uh, It seems like that's kind of where it all began.
7: Well, Holly and I had been singing together and writing before then, but we found the house on Craigslist, and um, we were just looking for a place with a bunch of friends, and... Um, we knew nothing of the house's history through the through the Craigslist posting and we showed up and we had already lost a house that we really wanted to have so we were sort of weary of the situation like we didn't want to get too excited about something that was not going to happen and we showed up we walked through the front door and there's like vintage organs and a grand Steinway piano and a recording studio in the basement and it was sort of like what? Yeah. <laughs> what kind of dream did we step into? Um,
2: what was the working order of all the various working order? It all kind of worked, or
3: we just needed to tune the piano and everything was yeah, yeah. It was working.
7: There was a couple of pianos in the house that were like from the yeah. 1800s that definitely were not working, mm. but um, I mean, it was pretty it's magical. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Did you
2: just were sort of like, we'll sign right now? We don't care.
7: Yeah. Well, then we, we saw the rest of the house, and it was just, yeah, it was sort of... Like,
3: was, we have to make this work. Also, there was tons of records in the basement, but clearly, like, the landlords didn't know the importance of all this stuff. Right. Because they didn't even mention it in the Craigslist ad. So when we moved in, all the records were gone. Yeah, 3,000
7: records. He just threw them out. He didn't sell them on eBay or anything. You asked him? Yeah. Because we're
3: like, where did they go? Oh, I threw them out. They're old records. Like, you just... <laughs>
7: They just Ugh. have no idea. Um,
2: but all the gear was still there. Yes, yeah. you were like, please keep the organ. No, we
7: didn't know. I mean, we just didn't know that he was even considering moving anything. Oh,
2: you just took it as an omen, less like, hey, this will be left here. So, yes, how did then those? How did those instruments begin to factor into the band?
7: Well, we started writing on the piano and um, um, met a bunch of neighborhood friends, including Danny and Pete. And, Who are in um, the band.
2: People can't see that you're looking around, but they're oh, also in the band.
7: Yes, Danny, Pete, and Andy. Um, and we just started hanging out and having like little jam sessions and writing on our front patio. And um, that's sort of how it, how it began.
2: Okay, well, why don't, we, um, why don't we hear a
7: song first? Sure. Let's do it. This is called Wilder Woman. It's an unreleased
3: track. Let's go.
2: Amazing. Um, it's really so,
7: funny to watch all these people. I know. Through. So you
2: it, you see, it kind of like answers your question. Like they, the people, the table by the window, they hear it. The people that are further out, like they kind of hear it. Okay. Like when you get loud, they're like, uh, what? But
7: they so, can see us, obviously.
2: Kind of. Oh, it's kind of like, away. it's not a two-way mirror, but just because the way that it's lit. Pictures with their
7: phone and stuff.
2: Maybe they're taking the pictures of
3: their food.
2: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Maybe it's, we it's, should it's,
7: moon them.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> hashtag robertas hashtag band um i feel like this show is very like stereotypical like people could come out of town like oh, of course there's like a radio show and a band playing here <laughs> or eating pizza they're like oh, how brooklyn how bush like oh and they're all matching in outfits mm. i mean like i said uh, usually my brother is here uh and we are twins so people are just like mm, twin hipsters hosting. So it's like just kind of checks the list um vocals play such a huge part of your band and i'm curious how that factors into the overall writing process of your song you know where do you start you know where do the ideas come from um and then how do you essentially build the layers of the the songs that you make
3: each song is different i mean sometimes we come up with a, a like a line for a chorus or a part of a verse and um and then build around that or sometimes we come up with like a vocal little tidbit?
6: Yeah.
7: I mean, we started writing together really like it was the first time we had really explored with writing about seven years ago. And it's, we've been lucky because we've had very similar, um, sort of patterns and sort of experiences in our lives that we've been able to relate to one another. And, um, it's made the writing process just heartbreak and falling in love. And, um, you know, I mean, just even 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 moving, even you know, living in the same place, moving to a different place, um, having to grow accustomed to a different lifestyle. I mean, just those types of things.
2: Got it. And then, so if it starts between you two, um, how does the music and then uh, enter in, and then how do the background vocals as well um, play a factor?
7: We're just like, let's do something fun. Yeah, we like to <laughs> experiment.
3: It's the arrangement process is really collaborative. Danny's a producer, so he comes up with cool ideas when, they're, when everyone's recording for harmonies and backing vocals and all that stuff.
7: The thing was, when we recorded our record, we weren't really a band. <clears throat> Holly and I had some songs. We got together with Danny, started recording, brought Pete in to play on some tracks, and we had never played together as a band.
2: Got it. And then, um, so the record recorded, and then you're like, you guys want to play in our band?
7: Basically. Yeah. It's like, this makes sense. Let's let's try this out. Uh, and, um, and then Andy joined the band.
2: Um, <laughs> oh, welcome, Andy. Thanks. High five. <laughs> on air, high five. Uh, so then as as that came in, I mean, you guys... I mean, most bands, you know, they play around for forever. I'm like, oh, we should record something. And then uh, how did it become, you know, recording the record and then forming a band and then taking it on the road?
7: I mean, we really... Um, the band is... Is pretty young It's only about a year old And um, Our first tour was like Two months ago Not even So um, That's just uh, An opportunity came About And Where where was it? um, We went out with J.D. McPherson Who's an incredible um, Rockabilly artist And um, Milo Green Who like indie Folk Band Um, So all over the Northeast Canada um, And the Midwest
2: so, I mean, you guys are essentially okay. band first and now becoming friends type <laughs> of situation. I mean, most uh, people not friends. OK, yeah, <laughs> not, okay well, this has got real interesting. <laughs> Let's talk about it.
8: No, we we um, we met. Um, we all met through this band sort of in, you know, we all we all knew each other through the small community of playing music in the same city. But uh, it did bring us all together and you know, we met Andy not too long ago, but Danny had been working with you know, Andy uh was playing another band called Andy and the Beekeepers. Um and
3: Danny it was a pretty their record.
8: Yeah. So it was a pretty natural progression of how all the pieces came about and then you learn about uh, you know, what everyone's Stinky underwear smells like <laughs> along the way, so it's
2: just like I was like, oh, I think that's mine. My- then we really oh,
8: found stinky.
3: I just washed it all last night.
2: <laughs> yeah, Holly, Holly
8: did it really. I just was like,
3: <laughs> Holly washed
7: everybody's
2: underwear. The day we got off tour, she took everyone's clothes. And She's like, them. you know what? I'm taking this on. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then you have like, oh, I think that's my bow tie, or I think that's my button-up shirt. Yeah, we- my shirts are the ones that are ripping in the back. The ladies I- pretty
7: much yeah. keep track of where all the clothes are because. Otherwise, we would leave them in each city.
2: Is each night a different uh, look or is it uniform across, across the whole tour?
7: It's a different Chaining outfit. with so
3: many different looks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's
7: We're usually, really
2: looking so to Paris this year, a little bit of Greece, maybe some Milan. <laughs> <laughs> we call
3: this
9: our midnight
7: look. More like Grandma's Closet.
2: <laughs> um, why don't we hear uh, another tune?
3: Cool. Cool.
7: This is called Go Home. <clears throat>
9: Yes. Everybody good? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
3: static smile I think my stitching's coming we mm-hmm.
2: That one was on a shared experience of heartbreak. Just <laughs> hoping I'm not reading into that too much. Um, I want to talk about the comp that you made um, because Freelance Wales are good friends of ours and good friends of the show. They were on two weeks ago, um, and we love them. Um, they actually re-recorded our theme song, and they're the best. Uh, but tell me about this comp, like where it came from, um, how it came together, and
7: our van was stolen with all of our gear after our show. Um, back in, what was it, July or something. And um, we had to do a pledge campaign because although the insurance company covered the car, we had about like $20,000 worth of gear that was stolen. And um, basically just called on all of our friends for help. And through that, we sort of came up with the idea of doing a compilation disc, um, friends covering Friends songs. Didn't have to worry about copyright. Didn't have to worry about any of that. So um, uh, the Freelance Whales uh, gave us permission to do their tune. They're good friends of ours, and um, that's how that came about. Mm-hmm.
2: Who else was on the comp?
7: Spring Standard, Sydney Wazer, um, Elizabeth and the Catapult.
2: I'm looking at Dana because these are all other Snacky Tunes bands. Uh,
7: <laughs> yeah. Um, you won't. you won't uh, jukebox the ghost
2: amazing. And so did you we able to raise the money back and replace all your gear? Yes, and so now what how do you get the comp? Because I want the comp.
7: Oh, <laughs> it's a secret, but I will send it to you.
2: It's a secret.
7: Yeah, no we're, it's it's only to the people that pledged. Oh wow, that was the whole sort of
2: and then once it was you analysis. raised the money, it was done. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's actually really great Yeah. to be kept in the vaults for another van that gets stolen. Yeah, full of uh, uh, knock on wood well, yeah. gear and everything, was,
7: yeah. <laughs> or or in the vault for something positive.
2: Yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, that that thing. Um, so, as you know, five relatives, well, two old friends and some newer friends and one very new friend. Telling uh, road, do you guys get time to explore and eat in the cities that you were on tour with? Do you guys eat well together?
7: Yeah, <laughs> sometimes. I mean, we like we all like to cook, so any opportunity we have to just go and get some fresh eggs and make something make a sweet breakfast usually
3: breakfasts are where to stay with people with kitchens oh really yeah we don't
7: we we've been staying with friends or like in our two tour. we've stayed in one hotel (laughs) with one in one hotel yeah usually just staying with yeah make an announcement on stage anybody have a bed for us really Mm. a floor for us Mm -hmm.
2: how does that work
3: well, were- <laughs> yeah. do, do you like
2: they're like we will cook you breakfast.
6: You have to go cook. With, them
2: breakfast. with yeah. you, yeah. yeah. You with none of with none of the shame.
3: I'll make yeah. shashuka sure yeah. anytime.
6: Yeah.
9: Oh really? Yeah. Oh wow. That's my dish. That's.
2: I mean, that's a good. I would let you sleep on my couch. <laughs> what now? Do is a requirement that one of each of you, all five of you, make a dish, or is like do you people usually have just like one dish?
8: Well, there was Jess and Holly. I I just found this out. Are. Taco Masters made (laughs) you guys made incredible like a oh yeah we went to the farmer's market
7: guacamole oh yeah
8: yeah. like everything was like it's own little featured plate and then I just smashed it all together thanks
7: slammed it in your face yeah so really crispy potatoes
8: yeah Danny's Danny's go-to breakfast dish is definitely shakshuka and that is always a crowd pleaser
7: yeah it's it's easy and delicious how do you make yours? Um, well,
3: <laughs> yeah, get on in here. Get we'll close to that, Mac. Um,
9: I've been standing about 10 feet away up until now. Yeah. Um, usually, uh, I make a some sort of tomato stew, um, and I'll add some kind of sweet element like carrots or sometimes shh, a little ketchup. <laughs> and, uh,. <laughs> <laughs> and then just let it
2: like. <laughs> <laughs> like, like hey man, it's dark. a food show. We're yeah. in, like.
9: It's
6: into, like, a food show. Let's talk about ketchup. Yeah.
2: No, hey, I mean, it, I'll, I'll tell you this. My mom's chicken growing up thought it was the most gourmet stuff ever. Three ingredients ever. too Ready? Wait. Lipton's onion soup, apricot preserve, and French onion dressing. That sounds amazing. And I thought that was like, and I still make it and still pat. Oh, this thing? Ours. I- <laughs> <laughs> Actually, just yeah. before we
9: came in here, Pete and I were talking about all the like dishes that we had as kids that were like kind of symptoms of being like ch- children of the '80s, like salad dressing and chicken legs. Like that's it, just like yeah. the worst Italian
8: that's dressing. What I thought you were gonna say, yeah.
2: yeah, no, but I mean, but it was kind of like. And I always tried to make it and it never tastes as good. And my mom goes, Well, why'd you get it? I was like, Well, I got fat free French dressing. <laughs> you know, and she's like, No, you need to get this shit that's terrible for you in the 80s when we didn't know any better yeah. and put that in a pot. And I'm like, Oh, okay. And then, of course, yeah. better.
7: It's the best right. thing ever. All
2: right, so ketchup and.
9: Um, so you make the stew until it, like, simmers down and a lot of the acidity goes away. And then you just poach eggs on top of it for, like, five minutes. And there it is. Usually, I mean, my dad, he went to the Israeli army and the way he described it to me is it would always be like whatever vegetables were left over from the night before like the meal they had so shakshuka was kind of like a poor man's breakfast it was right. like let's just take leftover veggies throw it in a pot throw some eggs on it but
2: do you put the bow tie on when you're cooking in the morning yes. do i put the what the bow tie on always, the always. only bow tie only bow tie backless apron yeah. and a bow tie um so what do you guys have coming up coming up next the ep is out
7: ep is out we are Um, Finishing our full-length record, and we have a big show in um, New York on January 18th with Tall Tall Trees at Mercury Lounge.
2: Amazing. Tickets available now?
7: Tickets are available now, as of Friday.
2: Um, Great. So do you want to give people the nuts and bolts where they can buy the EP, where they can find you?
7: It's on iTunes, um, ilovelucius.com, L-U-C-I-U-S. We're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all those things and um yeah thanks so much for listening
2: yeah um you want to give the, those keys a test to make sure that it there you go Sweet. um well big shout out to the melt shop and spencer bullfrog and bomb shout out to girly action dana thank you so much roberta's as always jack welcome back from vacation joe the whole crew uh we have one more episode left for this year um i believe it's teen playing live and i'm not sure the food guest because uh that's just where i'm at right now in my life and don't judge me thank you so much guys for coming this has been thanks so amazing. much what's for the, having us what's the name of the last song
7: it's called turn it around and we actually have a video that that came out about a month and a half ago it's on youtube for this song so okay check, so it, check it, out.
2: it out um thanks for everybody listening to snacky tunes shout out to darren and joe and uh, mom and dad and dad feel better see you guys next week
7: feel better dad
3: Ha <laughs> ha